For our call to worship, I'd like to refer you to Psalm 33, verses 1 to 3. The word of the Lord says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make a melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully of the strings with loud shouts. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning in which we get to worship you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have gathered your people, and we pray, Heavenly Father, that because of your saving grace, those who have named the name of Jesus Christ, who have trusted in your benevolent Son, we pray would be built up in the true Christian faith. We pray that those who are amongst us who are dead in sin would be made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would transform all who hear your word so that we are doers of the word and not just hearers. That we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds and by the washing done by the word of God. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would leave this place differently than the way that we came. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that it would be for your glory. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would bless us this day, for it is in Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. If you would please join me in the reading of God's word from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. Paul writes, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This morning... I'll be reading from James verses 1 through 12. 
James writes, Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we will stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and we, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy and precious word. And I pray, God, that as we look upon it, that by your Spirit we would be transformed in the renewing of our minds. We pray, Heavenly Father, whether we are very old or very young, that we would be like James, looking into a mirror and then walking away and remembering what we saw, that we would be doers of the word and not just hearers. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be gently reminded by your word that the tongue has power, that it either encourages or discourages our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that because we have been given the Spirit of God, let it be said of us that we are encouragers. We pray, Heavenly Father, that these things would be said of us, and we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would work towards that aim for your glory, because you have sanctified us and are continuing to do so. We pray these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. So a little bit about my my wife and I, or more, I guess, about me. We, we went to a hockey game. I love hockey. I grew up playing hockey. I grew up in, in Portage, Michigan, near Kalamazoo, and uh, played, uh, I think, for, for 13 years. But I saw something at the hockey game that I had never seen out of my wife before. We've been to hockey games before. She calls it when, you know, one person hurts another, that that person is going into the timeout box. 
which ruins the whole experience for me. But this past Thursday, or Friday, excuse me, I saw something from her that I had never seen before. Uh, those guys, they walk out into the intermissions out onto the ice, and they have different things that they throw out to the crowd. I'm a big guy, so I stood up and I put my hands in the air and I waved the guy down. I saw that he saw me and he was getting ready to throw something at me. Well, my wife pushed me out of the way as this thing came and reached out and grabbed the thing and then threw it right back. That was my encouragement to her for today. By way of introduction into James... We're going to be looking simply at verses 7 to 12 this morning. One guy called up one of his friends, he's new to the area, and he asks him to, to take him to a place that sells the best meat that you could possibly buy. He wants five stars or four stars or whatever it is. He says, I, I want the best. I don't care how expensive it is. Take me to where the, the best meat is. And they arrange for a time and a day, and the friend says okay, and they get off the phone, and the next day the one friend picked up the other, and he took him to the finest meat establishment in their city. And they sit down, and they're given the menus, and everything on the menu is a different type of tongue dish. All kinds of, of, of prepared tongue. There's fried, there's baked, there's sautéed, there's tongue in salad, there's roasted, there's anything that you could possibly get. There's a variety of ways to cook the tongue. And the one friend who did the inquiry asked the other friend, why did you bring me here to a restaurant that serves tongue? He said, I asked to be taken to a restaurant with the best meat in it. Why did you bring me here? And the guy says, what other meat do you know that can bless you? can encourage you, can strengthen you, and affirm you. A couple of days later, the one friend called the other, and he says, this time, he says, I want you to take me to the, 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 the worst meat restaurant. Take me to where it's horrible. It's $5 a dish. Take me there. The guy says, okay. Again, he comes and he picks him up and he takes him to this restaurant. And again, they're handed these menus. And anticipating the one friend's question, he says, the reason that I brought you here is because what other meat that you know of can curse you, destroy you, or remove dignity from you? James, the brother of Jesus Christ, our Lord, deals with a very interesting issue in his epistle to persecuted Christians. That is the issue of double-mindedness. Or rather, the struggle of double-mindedness. He first mentions double-mindedness in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And Jesus Christ describes it in his own words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Double-minded person in the epistle of James is someone, and this is indicative of all of us, who has an inner turmoil, a conflict, if you will, 
of being tossed back and forth in our minds between either pursuing godliness according to the word of the Lord or worldliness because the person has not set their minds on serving the Lord with all of themselves in every situation that we face. Or to put it another way, because someone has spent so much time considering the things of the world or contemplating how they can get away with pursuing the things of this world, considering the things of Christ becomes stressful to them. The picture is between going back before, between godliness and worldliness and the stress of deciding which one will do. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 14 to 16 He describes it this way. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The big concern that James has in writing this epistle to persecuted Brethren, is that as we grow in Christ, one of the things that we should see is a sanctifying effort in how we speak to one another. Because Jesus Christ is tender, He's merciful, He's kind, yet He points us to the areas of our hearts in which we need to grow. He is nevertheless gentle to us. And therefore, as believers in Him, we grow to be tender-hearted and speak gently to one another. James begins in verses 7 and 8 with the problem of the tongue. He says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He begins with the problem of the tongue. Verse 7, James begins by saying outright that even though mankind has had the ability to train and tame all kinds of wild animals, he says in verse 8, mankind has not been able to tame its own tongue. King David in Psalm 141 verses 1 to 3 describes the issue pertaining to his own heart this way. He says, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What's he praying? He's praying emphatically for the Lord's help in watching what he says. How does such a small thing, James writes, enact such damage? Notice what he says in verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's restless and full of deadly poison. Do you know that the Greek word restless is a word that describes an animal that is fighting fiercely against its restraints? 
It's a very uh, important word because it describes for the reader that our tongue is, is trying to unleash whatever it's looking to unleash. He describes it as poison. That relates to the consequences of our words. We find an example of this in 2 Samuel chapter 10. King Ammon, his dad, dies. David sends a group to console him because Ammon's father was good to David. They were friends. But a group of of people who are friends with the king, with King Amnon, looking to manipulate the king, to whisper in his ear, says to the king, are you sure David isn't trying to destroy you? Ammon, listening to his friends who are manipulating him, decides and says in his heart that David is going to be met by 60,000 soldiers simply because of a lie that someone within his inner party, his inner sanctum, told him. David hears about this, and although he makes an effort to calm the situation down, he understands that this force is being raised up against him, and so he marches over there with his own force, and as these 60,000 come to kill David and his army, he slaughters them. That's David slaughters them needlessly because of a lie. The point that we are talking about here, the thing that James is exhorting to us in our hearts, is that when we won't fight our flesh, our double-mindedness in what we say, that we, simply put, have the ability to inflict a great deal of damage in the life of the church and towards one another. And James looks to exhort us away from that type of behavior. The point here is that even though the tongue is such a small thing that we have the ability to hurt one another, that we need to be careful in what we say, but we also need to be mindful of the intent of, or the motive with which we speak. We have to be mindful of our hearts. Secondly then, in verses 9-12, to 12, James talks about the irony of how we use our tongues. He says, verse 9, With it we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth, for from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James says, with our tongues we both praise God, we worship God, we read God's word. But at the same time, he says, we curse our fellow believers. Notice how he puts it. Verse 9, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The seriousness of speaking to one another in love, learning to tame the tongue simply because we are made in the likeness of God. In fact, 
the word curse comes from a Greek word that means to pray against, to wish evil upon. And what James is getting at here is the irony that a person could worship the Lord, seeking to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, but nevertheless turn around and curse someone or speak badly about them, even though, as brothers and sisters, were made in the likeness of God. What James is essentially saying is that the two behaviors are not indicative of being a believer. Proverbs chapter 17 verses 27 to 28 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, Paul writes, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The biblical mandate is not to be nice for the sake of being nice to one another. Rather, the biblical mandate is to build one another up in the faith. To encourage. So we're told in the scriptures to sing psalms and spiritual songs to one another. To be mindful and careful that our words encourage and not tear down. To examine our motive in saying some of the things that we say to one another. For the glory of God. James, you'll notice in verses 11 and 12, gives three illustrations The first one is, can fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? The second in verse 12, can a fig tree bear, can a, can a fig tree bear or produce olives? A grapevine bear figs. And thirdly, also in verse 12, can salt springs produce fresh water? And the answer is a resounding no. The illustration is meant to show us that it is an impossibility for a Christian and a worshiper, a worshiper of Christ in spirit and in truth while living in a fashion that does not line up with what Christians should do and, and be. That wasn't very clear. Let me try to make it clear. We cannot name the name of Jesus Christ yet make a regular habit of tearing one another down. The point is that the struggle of double-mindedness should over time be reduced in our pursuit of Christ. When Rachel and I became, when I became the the minister of Word and Sacrament at Washington Reformed Church in Ackley, Iowa, we began a youth group. We tried to feed the kids every Sunday evening. We tried to, but they ran out and they acted like they hadn't eaten in days, so some of the kids might not get as much food as the others. But And then we, we shared the word of the Lord with them. We played games with them. But one thing that I had noticed about these kids is that the way that they spoke to one another, I, I wouldn't say, some of those things I wouldn't say to my worst enemy. They were speaking to their friends in Christ, those who are made in the likeness of God, as if they did not care on a fundamental level 
about how those kids felt about the words that were being said to them because it was all done as a joke. I know Christians who watch television shows that they should not watch. I believe one of them is, is entitled The Family Guy. You've heard of The Family Guy. The Family Guy is a father who speaks ridiculous things to his wife. He says derogatory things to his children. He treats people as if they are beneath him. And he does it all for a laugh from the people watching the show. Christians, we shouldn't be watching shows like that because we're learning to accept worldliness. And we're allowing double-mindedness to set into our hearts so that when it comes time to choose between the things of the Lord and the things of the family guy and the world that we live in, it becomes harder and harder to choose those things that glorify Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We have to guard our hearts. Amen? We have to protect what we're listening to. We have to protect our brothers and sisters who we're speaking to because we, as members of the church, are made in the likeness of God. It's a calling that's placed upon each and every one of us to speak to one another in such encouraging ways that when we walk away from said conversations, we feel closer to each other and to the Lord. It should be our aim not to joke around with the, like the world around us because we genuinely love and want to serve one another. And even the basic thing of how we speak to one another. The beautiful thing is that although none of us are perfect at this, there is always grace and mercy. Amen. First John chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful and will cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. The question that we have to ask ourselves as we look at a text like this, and you may wonder why in the world did I pick this to come here to share with you all, because it's one of my favorite passages. I love the challenge that James provides for us under the guidance of the Holy Spirit that I cannot speak to my brothers and sisters as if they don't matter, but instead look to talk to, to, to my brothers and sisters as if we have indeed been made in the likeness of God and that the calling has been placed upon my life to encourage you. Whether everything in my life is going as I think it ought to be, or it isn't. Because I have been bought and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Winston Churchill is exemplified as a man of integrity and respect in the face of opposition. During his last year in office, He attended an official ceremony. Several rows behind him, there were two guys seated, seated behind him and they began whispering to one another that that's Winston Churchill. They said to each other, they say he's getting senile. 
They say you should step aside and leave the running of the nation to more dynamic and capable men. Not knowing that he had heard, he turns around at the end of the ceremony and he says, gentlemen, they also say he is deaf. (laughs) I like that too. Beloved, we have something that the world cannot understand. A connection, an intimacy that has been given to us through the shed blood of our Lamb, Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And because of that, we have a calling that's placed upon us by His Word that we don't treat each other like the world treats itself, but we treat one another the way our Lord and Savior has treated us even before we had ever known anything about him, suffered and died that the elect might live. Therefore, we're not passive. We seek to love and honor and cherish one another as Christ has first loved and cherished us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that we are in fact called to tame our tongue. That we are called to wrestle this beast on hell, on fire by hell within us, that we might love one another well. We pray, God, that we would leave this place differently than the way that we came. We pray that we would remember that there is no shame, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That all we need do is humble ourselves before you and acknowledge our sin. And you are faithful and just and righteous. And you will cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bless us as we go about the rest of our worship. For it is in your precious name we pray. Amen.